So how incredibly amazing was last weekend at Encounter Easter Sunday, Baptism Weekend. So good, right? So good. And for those of you who are in Florida or somewhere warm over spring break and you missed out, you did just miss out. As you're making plans for spring break next year, just remember what you missed out. No, no, no. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're glad to have you. It was so powerful because I, you know, church, I did, uh, I did 13 Easter's as a pastor at Encounter Church. And I got to say, this past weekend was far and away the absolute best one because it was coupled uh, with Baptism Weekend, because we had 10 people over two locations show the world that they've been raised with Christ through baptism. It's so good because it makes the resurrection real, doesn't it? It's not just an event that happened, although we heard last week it was an event that happened, but it's an event that continues to happen in the lives of every single person uh, gathered here. And as we hear those stories, we're reminded again and again that the resurrection of Jesus matters. Um, I, love, I love this church. One of the things I love about the, uh, the community here at church is that we have, we have people who have been following after Jesus for like 50 years. And we have people who have been following after the heart of Jesus for like 15 minutes. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such an eclectic group of people, you know. And so the questions that come at me are really just all over the place. And, and I hope that you love that diversity of community and, and, and walks as much as I do. But some of the questions that come, especially on the 15-minute uh, group, are uh, kind of take me off guard a minute. And I have to step into those shoes and be reminded of, of what's what and what matters at times. One of the questions one time somebody asked me was like, okay... So, like, I know about Jesus, I know about the miracles, most of them. I know about the big one, I know about the resurrection. But, like, do we ever find out what happens next in the story? Like, is there anything else that happens after the resurrection? Does the story just kind of end there? And it's an awesome question, and the answer is yes, we do find out what happens next. In fact, that's really what today is about. You could title this message, What Happens Next After the Resurrection. And we're going to get to it. So if you'd like to follow along, it's going to be in Acts chapter 1. But before we go there and find out what happens next, I kind of want to frame our conversation this morning this way. Uh, it's a true story, conversation with, uh, with a younger guy. And he goes... I believe in God, I believe in the miracles of Jesus, I believe in the resurrection, the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's just that God to me has always seemed cold and distant. And this was so insightful. It kind of like core memory time, you know, it just like lodged, lodged in my heart. He goes, he goes, it seems like everything that God did, God did in the past. He created the world. He got that whole thing spinning, you know, brought the people out of Egypt where they were enslaved. He sent Jesus, his son, into the world that he made, the miracles, the death, the resurrection. But everything that God did, God did in the past. And then it's like a, he goes, it's like a teacher that gives a class this awesome lesson and then gives this huge assignment. Okay, now go tell the whole world about what you saw. And then leaves. The teacher like steps out of the classroom and just like leaves it up to us students to try to like figure it out on our own. What it would be like if we could just have Jesus for a little while, you know? What it would be like if we could have just one more conversation with the resurrected Jesus. What it would be like if we could have been like one of those disciples who followed Jesus around. What it would have been like if we could, the series is about Peter. What it would have been like if we could have been like Peter, you know, leaving the nets. 
If we could look at our life and time with, and hear the voice of Jesus calling us out. Dirk, come out onto the lake, onto the water. What it would be like if I remembered walking on the water towards Jesus. Yes, I sank, but then he picked me up. What life would be like if we could have Jesus just one last time. Maybe a conversation. Hey man, I've got a couple quick questions for you. And what it would be like to hear the audible voice of Jesus physically right there next to us. As real as I am next to you right now saying what the answer to the question, every question that you have might be. What would that be like? As we conclude this series, unlikely, this study on Peter, what you're about to hear is not one last conversation with Jesus. It's better than that. What we have in this final installment is not remembering what it's like to walk on this squishy kind of water that we fell through and then have Jesus physically grab a hold onto our hand and pull us up. What you have is better than that. You have it better than that. And we're going to listen to Peter tell us that you have it better than that by going to Acts chapter 1. The resurrection of Jesus caused quite a stir. (laughs) People kind of come out of the woodwork, right? People who denied him maybe start reappearing now that he rose from the dead. And he got a little bit of attention, quite a bit. In fact, followers started gathering around him. And one time in Acts chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 6. There was a group on a hillside. There was about 120 of them or so. In verse 6, we start the story. Luke tells us in the book of Acts. Then they gathered around him. All these 120 followers gathered around Jesus. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Even with the resurrection, they didn't quite get it. They thought that this whole thing was really just about a patch of ground, uh, roughly the size of New Jersey. And Jesus is like, oh boy, we're go- it's, it's bigger than that. The mission of God is so much bigger than that. And we're going we're gonna to get there. They still didn't quite get there, uh, but they will. Verse 7, and he said to everyone, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses... In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and here it is, to the ends of the earth. And then something unexpected happens. Jesus left. As Luke is like telling the story, remember he's like interviewing the eyewitnesses of the story. And he goes, uh, Jesus started kind of rising up and up and away and, and a cloud hit him from sight. And I just imagine if we're with Peter, remember, he's always the first on everything. He's the, he's the first one to speak up. I'll never deny you. He's the first one to deny you. He's the first one to say, Jesus, call me out of the boat, you know? He's always the first. And I, so I just imagine as Jesus is going up, Peter's the one to be, Jesus, you said the whole world? <laughs> he's like, yeah, see ya. <laughs> Jesus, do you know how big the whole world is? And Jesus is like, I can see the whole thing from up here. Do you know how big the whole world is? And I mean, it's a, big, it's, a, it's a big task, but really we have, the, we have the mission of those first followers and also the mission of us today, right here in verse 8. So let's back it up. Let's just hear verse 8 one more time, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's the part where we start to get a little bit uncomfortable, you know, as, uh, as believers in the 21st century, because it's like, oh, Holy Spirit, man. We're talking like Holy Spirit in church. We're maybe a little bit more comfortable with talking about a man rising from the dead than a Holy Spirit. And I think if you're Peter and you're listening to this, I'm, I'm sorry, the Holy what now? You know, this is, this is new information to me. What's, 
What's going on? The Holy Spirit makes us a bit uncomfortable because I think we believe that the Holy Spirit is so unpredictable. It's like the Holy Spirit is that, that wild uncle that shows up sometimes at Thanksgivings and Christmases. And you don't, like, you don't know which version of your uncle you're going to get. It's like the version who comes and he's got a $100 bill for all of his nieces and nephews. And you're like, that's awesome. Or the, or the uncle that shows up with like a new lady friend and she's not super appropriate. And he's never appropriate at all. And you're like, I don't know. And you're like, that's how I feel about the Holy Spirit, right? Like, I don't know which version I'm going to get. He's going to start talking to me. I'm going to tell people he's talking to me. They're going to think I've lost it. I don't know what's going to happen. Some, I'm going to say the Holy Spirit told me to. And then everybody's going to just stop listening because they, they think I'm like off the rocker, right? The whole, we are so much more comfortable with the Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, aren't we? Because the Holy Scripture we can close, It starts talking to us, and we're like, okay, I think that's enough. Let's put you on the shelf, uncle. (laughs) But when the Holy Spirit starts up, and some of you have had this experience, and you're like, ah, that is not for me. But I think it might be true. And it's a lot more difficult to close and to put on a shelf somewhere. We recognize you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I think we have to recognize somehow this movement jumped. Uh, This movement made a jump from the dungeon that Peter was stuck into in the last few days of his life, a dungeon he would die in. In Nero's Rome, the story of Jesus should have died with him, but somehow it didn't. He told this story to one other person, his friend John Mark, who wrote the story down, and it spread through the entire world. And like just as an objective reading on a story like this, you've got to hand it to him and say, you know what, I don't think a story like that spread, escaped the dungeon and escaped to every continent on the world. I don't think a story escaped like that, spread like that, because Jesus picked the best people. It's important for us to recognize today, he did not pick the best people. He picked liars, he picked fishermen, he picked dropouts, he picked thieves to follow him. He picked people a lot like each one of us, if we're honest. I'm not asking you for a confession right now, but I am going to kind of lump us into that category. You can self-select out a little bit later if you want to. He, he didn't pick the best people. He didn't call the ready. He readied the call. He didn't send out the already equipped. He equipped the ones that he sent out. The fact that this gospel lives on every continent is true. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, not because Jesus simply picked the best people. And the next line I just love, and you will, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. It's a good word that I think we kind of gloss over at times, witnesses. Because a witness doesn't do anything. Like the best witnesses, they kind of just stay out of it. They don't do anything. They just point to what was already done. Amen? Amen? That's good, right? Witnesses, we're just pointing to it. As long as we're talking about Acts, and it's a little bit of tangent, there's going to be a few of those today. It's a big story. I got to point out that we, we sometimes talk about like the miracles of the Holy Spirit or the miracles of the believer, the miracles in the book of Acts, recording the actions of the disciples, those first followers. We talk about miracles sometimes. I like a better word. It's kind of a throwback old-timey word, like signs and wonders. I like signs better than miracles because sometimes we think that miracles are the point, don't we? Like if something happens, like somebody raises from the dead in the book of Acts, and we're like, that was amazing. There was a healing maybe. Uh, speaking in tongues, something awesome that happened, and we're like, that was sweet. And Jesus, if he was here, he goes, and also not the point. It's a sign. It's like I take my kids to Disney World. I'm not taking them to Disney World. Do not tell them I'm taking them. Like, this is fictional, right? 
if we were going to Disney World, which no, but you, you get on the highway and then you see, and you see like this giant like Disney World sign, not Disneyland in California, no way, we're going to the big one, Disney World, this giant sign. Could you imagine, I got a 12 and a 10 year old and we tell them this is what we're doing, we're going to Disney World and, we show, and there's this giant thing that says like, welcome to Disney World and we pull the car over and we're like, man, let's get out, let's take pictures, this is awesome, let's get in the car, let's drive back up to Michigan. Right? They're like, no, Dad. This sign isn't the point. Disney World is the point. And Jesus is like, yes. The sign isn't the point. I am the point. That's why we spent so long talking about the importance of the resurrection last week. Is because this week we come in and we're like, hey guys, start to read the story of Acts. And you're going to hear some, you're going to hear some miracles. You're going to hear some miraculous things. And that's awesome. And I do not want to minimize that at all. I just want to clarify that the signs aren't the point, it's what the signs point to. Jesus is the point. Your faith in mine is not anchored to a miraculous event outside of the resurrection. Our faith hangs with Jesus who hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the point. The last line in verse 8, kind of the charter mission, is you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We got some Bible nerds. In one of our churches, Fulton Heights, you can put your hands up. It's all right, yeah. Um, we, just for Bible nerds, that's, it's the outline of the, of the book. Remember who wrote, it's Luke who wrote the book of Acts, uh, probably, and he's the doctor, he's the, he's the type A one, he's the one who does a, quote, careful investigation to gather up all the eyewitnesses. He's a very organized human being, and so he just kind of throws out there, you'll be my Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. The uh, first seven chapters are about Jerusalem. Uh, chapters uh, 8 through 11 are through Ju- Judea and Samaria. Uh, chapters 12 through 28, the ending of the book, is to the ends of the earth. And I just love that. Nothing to do with anything. It's just getting a little insight into the biblical authors. Okay, by, by witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. And then, <clears throat> and then we got Peter. And then we got Peter standing up again. Okay, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. Pentecost is 50, 50 days after the Passover. It's just, it's a word. Uh, when Pentecost came, it was a Jewish thing. And now a Christian thing, because this happened in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound, you Bible nerds are going to love this, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Sometimes we think of it like a, like a little, like a chill wind. It says violent wind. Something like F2, F3, tornado, like violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be like, like tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. We've got wind and we've got fire that comes and just like stands on them. I can see from your faces that many of you have heard this story before. <laughs> if you have not heard this story before and if you were in that room, you'd be like, what? You're a violent wind like a tornado sweeps through the room that we're in and then fire comes? And usually when fire hops from like person to person, it's not a great thing. We're not chill about it, right? The fire just lands on top of every person and we're just like, good, yeah. What happens next? This is important for us to recognize. There's a huge uh, spiritual, theological, uh, biblical truth that is being conveyed to us right now. And I think a lot of us, I think we miss it at times. I've missed it in, in, the, in the past. And so I don't, I, don't want, I don't want you to miss it. Um, everything that God does is intentional. 
in the Bible, everything that God does is intentional. This story that's recorded here, and those eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses in the rooms gathered, everything that God does in your life is intentional. Uh, for God to break into this uh, Jerusalem apartment with a violent wind, with a t- tongues of fire, little bits of little pillars of fire on top of each person, is intentional. It, it's, it's God saying, do you remember when? That story continues. Important little information, uh, those of you Bible nerds, you're going you're gonna to love this. I, I'm a Bible nerd, I love it. Important little information. Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament is written in Greek. You don't have to learn the whole languages, but you're going to have to learn a couple words. Uh, Old Testament word for, for wind is, uh, Hebrew word is ruach. You just, ruach, can we say that together? Ruach. Great job. Um, you're there. Uh, New Testament Greek word for wind is panalma. Can we say panalma? Panalma. We got that, right? So wind, Old Testament ruach, New Testament panalma. Awesome. Okay. Um, little little Bible, Bible trivia. Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam and Eve, and he, he breathed this breath of life into them to make them not just kind of sex of flesh, but alive. He, the word for breath, wind, spirit, Old Testament, ruach, all the same word. Ezekiel chapter 37, God takes a prophet out to a mass grave. A valley of dry bones, it's called. Skeletons, human skeletons. God says to the prophet, I want you to prophesy to these dead bones. And I think Ezekiel has learned that you don't ask why in those moments, you just do. <laughs> he prophesies to them, a ruach comes, a wind, a tornadic wind, stirs up the bones and stands them up. Not only stands them up, but as they're swirling around, um, uh, nerves, sinews, flesh starts wrapping around them. But still, they're like sacks of flesh. They're not like alive. And God says, Ezekiel, prophesy one more time. Tell them to live. Tell them to breathe. And the wind comes and the wind, the ruach comes into their lungs and the dead bones lived and became alive, like physical, like, like you and I are alive. What was dead is now alive again. The wind, the breath of God, the spirit of God did that. Okay, there's wind. There's also fire in Acts chapter 2 that's present. God first shows up onto scene uh, to Moses. There's a burning bush. It's burning, but it's not burning up. And Moses approaches it because, yeah, that got attention. And God, the voice of God, comes out of that bush that's burning and doesn't burn up and says, Moses, take off your shoes. Where you're standing is holy ground. The fire is the presence of God. God leads his people out of Egypt where they were enslaved for hundreds of years and he leads them through the wilderness guided by a pillar at night, a pillar of fire. The temple kept a fire burning where they would sacrifice uh, daily and annually sacrifices given to God. The sign that the sacrifice was burned up was the presence of God. The fire would kill you the terrifying presence of God in the Old Testament because none of us were capable of living up to the good law that he gave. The wind and the fire that was indicative and restricted to the presence of God in the temple, where, by the way, they could probably look out a window and see. It was the highest structure in Jerusalem. So wherever they were, depending on where the window was, they could probably look and they could probably see the temple, see the, pres- the building that entombed the presence of God and limited it there. 
And now in Acts chapter 2, the wind and the fire break out of the temple and come and rest on every single one of them. You see what I'm saying? The presence of God changed addresses. Jesus pointed to this on his death at the cross when the temple curtain separating the holiest place from the rest of the was torn open, not from bottom to top, top to bottom. And it's like the presence of God spilled out and now intentionally rests on every single one of them. I think as Jewish kids, they knew this. I think Peter, as unlearned as he was, still knew the stories of the Old Testament well. I think he knew what was happening when the Ruach and the Panama, the fire, the presence of God came and lived on him. What should have killed him, now gave him life. And I'm going, man, if I could just ask Jesus my problems, if I could just hear the voice of God, if I could could just have Jesus next to me, this faith would be so much easier. And Peter goes, no, hang on, no. I tried that. Uh, I got to hold Jesus' hand. As I was falling through the lake, I got to hold Jesus' hand. I got to ask him every question that ever came to my mind. I lived with Jesus for three years right beside me. And do you know what all of that accumulated to? Denial, denial, denial. You want Jesus beside you? Peter goes, I'll give you something better. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. We look back and we're like, man, it must have been so amazing to have Jesus right next to us. And Peter's like, you don't get it. I had him and I still made a mess of things. The spirit inside is better than Jesus beside. You have it better than they did. For Peter, it's like all of those Old Testament prophets that you hear, empowered by the Spirit of God coming on. King David, empowered by the Spirit of God. He goes, that's you. That's me. It's better. The Spirit inside is better than Jesus beside. And and this this is the evidence of that, the change. Notice the change in Peter's life. Immediately the wind thing, the fire thing, the Spirit inside thing. And they're like, the brains are short-circuited, and I, and I mean that. There was a theologian, uh, Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones, and he goes, you know, it's the Spirit of God sometimes just grabs a hold of you in just such incredibly powerful ways. You know, we don't, hang, we don't hang our faith on experiences like this. Remember, our faith hangs with Jesus as he hung for you. But wow, is it cool, though. Like, is it amazing? Like, is it bonus? And so this, this theologian goes, you know, it's like a dad walking hand-in-hand with his little kid with his toddler. You know, and his to- the toddler, your kid, yeah, I know dad loves me. I know dad cares for me. I know dad provides for me. But every once in a while, dad just looks down at him and he just like scoops up the toddler and, you know, like tickles him all like that. And it's just like the kid is just bursting with emotion now. He just giggles and screams in joy. And uh, uh, Lloyd-Jones, he goes, that's like what an experience of the spirit is like. You're walking hand in hand with your father. And just every once in a while, he'll pick you up, he'll scoop you up, and it's like his love and affection spill over, and it almost short-circuits your brain. And it's like that's what happens. 
with these people in the Jerusalem apartment. God scoops them up and hugs them and embraces them. And it short circuits their brains. They start talking and the language that they're saying isn't really making sense to the one that's saying it. We say it's like speaking in tongues. That was a euphemism they had back then for, for speaking in different languages. It's important for us to recognize it wasn't just uh, gibberish because people from outside visiting Jerusalem were like, hold up, that's my language. <laughs> I've come a very long ways and I did not expect anybody to speak my language. That's my language being spoken. And there's like a dozen different languages that are represented coming from the one. Again, a little bit of bonus material. It's so cool it's so cool that God, he doesn't speak into like one language, right? It's not like it has to be English. It has to be Greek. It has to be Hebrew. That's the language that God picks because God picked a certain people group and that people group or that culture is superior to every other culture. God goes, no, 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 that's not our story. That's not Christianity, right? Because Christianity is like God is speaking this one language is above every other language. And from the one language that God is speaking, everybody else just has this way of understanding it. And God is like, no one culture is superior to another. The foot of the cross is level ground. I just thought that was so cool. Okay, so it's Peter. We're going to get through the, through the story at some point. Peter, verse 14, everybody's speaking in tongues. And then Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised, the, raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Because that, that got a crowd gathered around. And we're just a little surprised that it's Peter who stands up. Like, first of all, it's, it's Peter. Right? Okay, Mr. Denial, got it. Not just a river in Egypt. Is it? Um, and also, like, he stands up. We know his track history. He's not exactly the, the boldest one. He doesn't often get it right, but this time he does. He stands up and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's going on. Listen carefully to what I say. They were accusing these people of, of drinking, of being drunk. He goes, verse 15, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It's like, Peter, that, God bless you. That doesn't stop everyone. That's, <laughs> you know who you are. It is kind of funny, though, because Pentecost... It lands on like the end of barley season and the beginning just, just earlier than wheat season. So like farmers and the culture, which is like most people, they have it off. It's like their spring break, which is why Easter always falls on spring break. Just kidding. Um, but it was also like not a bad guess, right? Because it was festival time. So it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is happening. But Peter, he stands up, he addresses everybody, and he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the story. That's not what's going on here. And Peter actually explains to, to the crowd, and he gives what we recognize today is the very first Christian sermon, distinctively Christian sermon in church history, because he lands the plane on, on Christ, Right? He goes on, he explains the Jesus story, he, he shares the gospel with them. In verse 37, the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's not what should we believe, it's what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We had a couple hundred people join us last weekend for Easter that we were expecting, and I heard from every team at church. 
like parking lot team, guest experience team, kids team, everybody was like, the logistics of this thing we've got to figure out better. And I just want to point out where we're going. Like, if you thought that was a lot, you know, 3,000. Okay, but it is significant, though. It's not just every, what do, we, what do we say? Everything that God does is intentional. Exactly. Everything that God does is intentional. The number that God added to the number that day was intentional. Exodus chapter 32, when Moses comes down from Sinai, when he comes down from the mountain, law in hand, the Ten Commandments, you've seen the movie, he's got like the, the stone tail. He, Moses comes down and he sees that the people uh, created, took all their jewelry, melted it in the middle, they created this golden cap and they were worshiping that. Literally breaking the first rule that God gave of just like, okay, let's start here. No other gods before me. You guys get that, right? They did not get that. He comes down from the mountain, he sees the golden calf thing, and the consequences of their action is the number of people lost their lives that day. Guess how many? 3,000 people lost their lives because they could not keep the law. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit powered. 3,000 people gained their lives because one person kept the law perfectly. Amen? I mean, that's good, right? Everything that God does is intentional. Everything that God does is intentional and you are too and you are too where do we go from here what happens next I wanted to end the series here because I wanted you to live here we've made a, a bit of a mistake in the, in the church right? That I, gotta, that I gotta own too as a church leader but it's on all of us but I'm gonna own that <laughs> We've made a mistake in the church as it relates to some of the language that we've used at church. Every single time at the early church, every single time that Jesus refers to the church, the word that he uses, this Greek word, is ekklesia. Ek, out of, kaleo, uh, to, to call. Ekklesia. It's a, it's a calling out of. It's a, a group of people. It's a movement of people that are called out around a particular idea, in this case, around a person, his death and his resurrection, Jesus. That's how Jesus intended for the church to be. But what happened somewhere along the line is our language over a thousand years or so started to get in the way of some of this. And so in the Middle Ages, the word that we used for church wasn't ekklesia, the Greek word that Jesus in the early church described of themselves, this movement of believers called around a certain person and his death and resurrection, his name was Jesus. But the word that we started using was the German word cure which means an assembly where people perform religious rituals which one sounds more appealing to you if you're gonna if you're gonna devote your life to something would you want to devote your life to a movement of believers gathered around a lord who stepped into the world that he made gave his life was thrown out of it so that you could live he would keep the law perfectly so that you could have life. And your simple job is to be a witness, is just to point to it, Holy Spirit powered, and say, I don't know, but Jesus, but grace, but love, but affection, and I'm just going to do whatever he says to do because, man, that guy's got the words of life. Or an assembly of people who perform religious rituals. You see, we've forgotten that the church is a movement and that we're intended to be on the move. 
We're intended to do stuff. We're intended to follow him. We're intended to move. See, a lot of us, a lot of us have this Kirk view of the church, this static, this fixed assembly, and we're right here, and we're waiting for God to show up. We're waiting for the Spirit of God to move. We're waiting on a movement of God. When Jesus said, you are not waiting on a movement of God, you are a movement of God, so let's get moving. 3,000 people then, I think we got some more people today. Let's get moving, church. And the rest of us are on the sidelines. This is good. It comes from Matt Chandler, pastor of a church down south, Texas style. So I'll do my best. Football analogy. So good. He goes, a lot of us, we're waiting on the sidelines because we think that we're third stringers. So good. He goes, the biggest challenge that I have as a pastor, and I get this, the biggest challenge that I have as a pastor is to try to convince you that you have more power available to you than you think you do. Because we're on the sidelines thinking that we're third stringers. And those of you maybe don't have a football culture background, third stringers are not the, not the best people on the team. <laughs> I mean, in fact, if a third stringer got to play in a game, several things had already had to go catastrophically wrong. Right now, we're just trying to survive and hope for better for next week. <laughs> and a lot of us, we think that in the, story, in the movement of God, we're third stringers. We're no good. We're practice squad at best. And we act like third stringers, we prepare like third stringers, and we play like third stringers. We don't, we're not going to get to play. That's for the professionals. That's for the, for the other people. But for this gospel to escape the dungeon in Rome where it should have died and to be found in every continent, who did God use? It's not like, oh, you're just a third stringer. We're all third stringers. You think that somehow... It's on our power or savvy or smarts or faithfulness. It's on our ability. Like we're so able that we get to step in and we get to contribute and we get to perform. No. The spirit inside. Infinitely better than Jesus beside. Jesus said so in John John 16. That's the point. All of us are third stringers. It's not that we're so smart. We're so capable. We're so faithful. We're so able. It's that God is so smart. God is so capable. God is so faithful. God is so able. He's able to take this movement to the ends of the earth and you along with it. Now, if I could talk to that young guy who's asking that good question, it seems like, it seems like the teacher just left and gave us this impossible assignment to figure out all on our own. You know that's not true. You are spirit-empowered. You have it better than they do. He is not cold and distant. Everything that God did is not restricted to the past. There's a present and there's a future. And speaking of, that spirit is alive inside of you right now. What is he asking you to do? We're going to close in prayer. And I just want to ask you to ask him, what would he have you do to be a part of that movement this week? Stand up. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're the point. Father, you've blessed us. Spirit, you've empowered us. And you're speaking to us right now. What is it that you want us to hear? Spirit, what is it that you want me to hear? What would you have us do? Lord, that we would take this message of grace 
to the ends of the earth. Because God, where we're sitting right now is the end of the earth from where it originated. Thank you for finding us, Lord. Your movement is not done. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.